0: Joe Biden's tyrannical vaccine mandate for private sector employers bites the dust. But the left wing of the court reminds Americans that we were one presidency away from complete administrative tyranny in this country. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. For peace of mind, whenever you go online, visit expressvpn.com slash Ben. We'll get to all the news in just one moment. First, you should know that when you spend money with many of your corporate friends, they are spending that money on a bunch of stuff that you don't particularly like. You vote every single month with the money you spend and the companies you spend it with. So if you are still a customer of Verizon or AT&T or T-Mobile, you're choosing to support the candidates and issues that they donate to. So that means you're funding indirectly Biden, Pelosi, Schumer, the leftist agenda they're pushing. But here is a solution, Pure Talk. See, Pure Talk, as I've said, uses the exact same towers as the big guys, same 5G network as one of those companies. But with the peace of mind that you are supporting a veteran-run business, a business whose employees are right here in the United States. So yes, this is one monthly bill you can be proud to pay. And here's the thing, you're going to be saving a lot of money when you use Pure Talk as opposed to one of the big guys. In fact, your bill is probably going to be about half of what your current cell phone bill is because the average family saves over $800 a year. So do this, go to puretalk.com, find the plan that's right for you, Find the phone that's right for you or just bring your own then. Because they love my listeners, enter promo code Ben Shapiro and you will save 50% off your very first month. That is puretalk.com, promo code Ben Shapiro to get started. Alrighty, so today is a massive day for us here at The Daily Wire. We are so proud that we at Daily Wire fought this thing from the very start. We fought it from day one. We said we were not going to comply and we didn't. And then we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to fight this thing in court. We were the first company in America to file a federal lawsuit against the Biden administration, literally within minutes of them promulgating the regulation Legally, we went to court in the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. We could not have done that without those of you who are members and who have helped make this happen for us. Please, if you're not a member, consider joining up today and helping us fight, because that's what we do here at Daily Wire. Head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. For today only, promo code winning gets you 40% off an entire year's membership. So you can support us all year long. We have amazing content, but you're really helping the cause more than anything else. Dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use promo code winning because we're going to keep on winning to get 40% off that annual membership. The Supreme Court ruled 6-3 yesterday that Joe Biden's vaccine mandate via OSHA was wildly unconstitutional. Because as it turns out, it is wildly unconstitutional. It is a violation of the separation of powers. It is a violation of the enabling act of the of the original body itself, OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Safety and Health Administration, and it was being used as a cudgel by the executive branch of the government to simply end around the constitutional process of working through a legislature. See, here in the United States, there's this thing called the Constitution. The Constitution mandates that if you're going to effectuate a major policy, you need to go through this thing called the legislature. The legislature is in its turn, comprised of two separate bodies, the House of Representatives, which is apportioned according to population and the Senate of the United States in which each state gets two senators. I know this is really basic stuff, but apparently, People on the left need to hear this. The New Republic today, <laughs> the New Republic, I'm I, 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 not even kidding you. They tweeted out today, the New Republic, which is supposed to be a sophisticated liberal magazine. Quote, the real Supreme Court ruling appears to be this. The Biden administration can only try new solutions to new problems if it runs them through a gerrymandered house and a filibuster friendly Senate first. Oh, you mean you can only do things that you don't have the authority to do if you are given that authority by the Congress of the United States? Who could have suspected such a thing, except for everyone who has ever read the Constitution of the United States? It's just unbelievable. Okay, so the Supreme Court ruled 6-3 in favor of getting rid of Joe Biden's vax mandate. And the language was pretty strong here. We're going to go through it. And as we do, I want you to remember that there were three justices on the other side, Breyer, Kagan, Sotomayor. And those three justices on the other side rule that the Occupational Safety and Health Administration with no actual statutory authority could force 100 million Americans to vaccinate because they had jobs. That is what the left of the court said, that an obscure agency that generally you have no interface with, that obscure agency granted power by an act in the 70s, suddenly had the authority to decide whether you had to vaccinate, whether or not you had natural immunity or religious objection or some sort of existing condition that prevented you from getting the vaccine safely that you had to vaccinate or lose your job. Three justices on the Supreme Court said that that was totally fine. And uh, if, if Hillary Clinton had been elected in 2016, that would have been five or six justices on the Supreme Court of the United States. Because remember, President Trump got three picks. All three voted the right way in this particular case. All right, so here's what the court ruled yesterday. The Secretary of Labor acting through the Occupational Safety and Health Administration recently enacted a vaccine mandate for much of the nation's workforce. The mandate which employers must enforce, applies to roughly 84 million workers, covering virtually all employers with at least 100 employees. It requires that government workers receive a COVID-19 vaccine. It preempts contrary state laws. The only exception is for workers who obtain a medical test each week at their own expense and on their own time, and also wear a mask each workday. OSHA has never before imposed such a mandate, nor has Congress. Indeed, although Congress has enacted significant legislation addressing the COVID-19 pandemic, It has declined to enact any measure similar to what OSHA has promulgated here. Many states, businesses, and nonprofit organizations challenged OSHA's rule in courts of appeals across the country. The Fifth Circuit initially entered a stay, but when the cases were consolidated before the Sixth Circuit, that court lifted the stay and allowed OSHA's rule to take effect. Applicants now seek emergency relief from this court, arguing OSHA's mandate exceeds its statutory authority and is otherwise unlawful, agreeing that applicants are likely to prevail, we grant their applications, and stay the rule. Remember, there's a preliminary injunction because the rule didn't even go into effect. So the Supreme Court then goes through the history of the Occupational Safety and Health Act, which was created in 1970. The act created OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, which is part of the Department of Labor and under the supervision of its secretary. As its name suggests, OSHA is tasked with ensuring occupational safety, that is, safe and healthful working conditions. It does so by enforcing occupational safety and health standards promulgated by the secretary. Such standards must be reasonably necessary or appropriate to provide safe or healthful employment. It must also be developed using a rigorous process that includes notice, comment, and an opportunity for a public hearing. However, there's an exception. You're allowed to also promulgate emergency temporary standards. Such standards may take immediate effect upon publication in the Federal Register. This is only permissible in extremely narrow circumstances. It's only been used nine times before this emergency authority. Six of those times it was challenged in court. Only one of those was upheld in full. Okay, so the Supreme Court goes through the process by which the Biden administration created this OSHA rule. And, um, and the Supreme Court then points out that applicants are likely to succeed on the merits of their claim that the secretary lacked authority to impose the mandate. Administrative agencies are, cre- are creatures of statute. They accordingly possess only the authority Congress has provided, right? Congress says that OSHA can do X. OSHA cannot do X, Y, and Z. OSHA can only do X. And if OSHA proclaims that Z is part of X, OSHA has exceeded its mandate under its Enabling Act. The secretary has ordered 84 million Americans to either obtain a COVID-19 vaccine or undergo weekly medical testing at their own expense. This is no everyday exercise of federal power. It is instead a significant encroachment into the lives and health of a vast number of employees. This is the Supreme Court. We expect Congress to speak clearly when authorizing an agency to exercise powers of vast economic and political significance. There can be little doubt that OSHA's mandate qualifies as an exercise of such authority. The question then is whether the act plainly authorizes the secretary's mandate. It does not. The act empowers the secretary to set workplace safety standards, not broad public health measures. No provision of the act addresses public health more generally, which falls outside of OSHA's sphere of expertise. So in other words, it is true that COVID-19 is a threat inside the workplace. It is also a threat outside the workplace and everywhere else that human beings congregate. And as the Supreme Court is about to say, just because you have a job doesn't mean that the court can now do, that that OSHA can now do whatever it wants to you. So for example, OSHA could not promulgate a rule saying that obesity is a serious problem at the workplace because there are people at the workplace and obesity is a problem. Therefore, it is a serious workplace problem. Therefore, you're not allowed to eat fatty foods at your workplace via OSHA, via, via OSHA regulation. There's nothing that would allow that sort of thing. The dissent protests we are imposing a limit found no place in the governing statute. Not so, says the Supreme Court. It is the text of the agency's organic act that repeatedly makes clear that OSHA is charged with regulating occupational hazards and the safety and health of employees. The Solicitor General does not dispute that OSHA is limited to regulating work-related dangers. She instead argues the risk of contracting COVID-19 qualifies as such a danger. We cannot agree. Although COVID-19 is a risk that occurs in many workplaces, it is not an occupational hazard in most. COVID-19 can and does spread at home in schools during sporting events everywhere else people gather. That kind of universal risk is no different from the day-to-day dangers that all face from crime, air pollution, or any number of communicable diseases. Permitting OSHA to regulate the hazards of daily life simply because most Americans have jobs and face those same risks while on the clock would significantly expand OSHA's regulatory authority without clear congressional authorization. The dissent, says the Supreme Court, contends that OSHA's mandate is comparable to a fire or sanitation regulation imposed by the agency. But a vaccine mandate is strikingly unlike the workplace regulations that OSHA has typically imposed. A vaccination, after all, cannot be undone at the end of the workday. Contrary to the dissent's contention, imposing a vaccine mandate on 84 million Americans in response to a worldwide pandemic is simply not part of what the agency was built for. That is not to say OSHA lacks authority to regulate occupation-specific risks related to COVID-19, Where the virus poses a special danger because of the particular features of an employee's job or workplace, targeted regulations are plainly permissible. We don't doubt, for example, that OSHA could regulate researchers who work with COVID-19. OSHA could regulate risks associated with working in particularly crowded or cramped environments. But the danger present in such workplaces differs in both degree and kind from the everyday risk of contracting COVID-19 that all face. Then they point out that the Senate of the United States actually voted against greenlighting exactly this procedure. There was a procedural vote that was brought up before the Senate and the Senate symbolically said, we don't like this regulation, which is a pretty good indicator. Congress does not mean to grant this sort of authority to OSHA. The Supreme Court says the equities do not justify withholding interim relief. We're told by the states and the employers that OSHA's mandate will force them to incur billions of dollars in unrecoverable compliance costs and will cause hundreds of thousands of employees to leave their jobs. For its part, the federal government says the mandate will save over 6,500 lives and prevent hundreds of thousands of hospitalization. The Supreme Court says it is not our role to weigh such trade offs. In our system of government, that is the responsibility of those chosen by the people through the democratic process. Although Congress has indisputably given OSHA the power to regulate occupational dangers, it has not given that agency the power to regulate public health more broadly. Requiring the vaccination of 84 million Americans simply because they have jobs certainly falls in the latter category. Okay, so that is the majority Supreme Court opinion, 6 3. Then there is also the concurrence. When the concurrence goes further, this is from Gorsuch, Thomas, and Alito. We'll get to that in just one second, because it makes some pretty important points about the legislative branch and why we still need a legislative branch in the United States. This really was a clash of massive ideas as to the future of the country. If this had gone the other way, it would essentially spell the end, truly, of anything remotely like the constitutional structure in the United States. Essentially, we'd be living under full administrative fiat at the behest of the wild left, greenlit by justices on the Supreme Court if this had gone the other way. We'll get to that in just one moment. First, take a look around your house. It feels like, you know, pretty good, right? I mean, you've cleaned up. It looks pretty good, but it feels like slightly dingy. You're having a tough time realizing what, what is it about it? It's the window coverings, right? Look at them right now. Yep, I know you're looking. They're dingy. You need to go over to blinds.com right now. In 2022, blinds.com is all about celebrating you. Get up to 40% off site-wide right now. Custom window treatments are a minor home improvement with a major impact. Blinds.com makes it easy and affordable. Upgrade one room or tackle your whole house. Shop huge discounts on premium blinds, shades, shutters, and more, all backed by their 100% satisfaction guarantee. With Blinds.com, there are never any misleading quotes or hidden fees. That's why they are the number one online retailer of custom window coverings with over 40,000 five-star reviews. Whether you do it yourself or let them handle the installation, Blinds.com's free professional design consultants are always available to help. Blinds.com wants to thank their customers by celebrating you with big savings in 2022. Shop Blinds.com right now, save up to 40% off site-wide. Go to Blinds.com, get up to 40% off site-wide going on right now. That's Blinds.com for up to 40% off. Rules and restrictions may apply. Okay, so on to the concurrence in this case. This is Gorsuch, Thomas, and Alito. They say the central question we face today is who decides? No one doubts that the COVID-19 pandemic has posed challenges for every American or that our state, local, and national governments all have roles to play in combating the disease. The only question is whether an administrative agency in Washington, one charged with overseeing workplace safety, may mandate the vaccination or regular testing of 84 million people, or whether, as 27 states before us submit, that work belongs to state and local governments across the country and the people's elected representatives in Congress. This court is not a public health authority, but it is charged with resolving disputes about which authorities possess the power to make the laws that govern us under the Constitution and the laws of the land. And essentially what they say is state and local governments have extraordinary plenary authority when it comes to regulation of health. This is not true of the federal government. The federal government's powers are not general, but limited and divided, say the three concurring justices. Not only must the federal government properly invoke a constitutionally enumerated source of authority to regulate in this area or any other, it must also act consistently with the Constitution's separation of powers. And when it comes to that obligation, this court has established at least one firm rule We expect Congress to speak clearly if it wishes to assign to an executive agency decisions of vast economic and political significance. We sometimes call this the major questions doctrine. OSHA's mandate fails that doctrines test. The agency claims the power to force 84 million Americans to receive a vaccine or undergo regular testing by any measure. That is a claim of power to resolve a question of vast national significance. Yet Congress has nowhere clearly assigned so much power to OSHA. Approximately two years have passed since the pandemic began. Vaccines have been available for more than a year. Over that span, Congress has adopted several major pieces of legislation aimed at combating COVID-19. It seems, too, that the agency pursued its regulatory initiative only as a legislative workaround. Hey, what's hilarious about that particular note right there, which is that OSHA created this because they couldn't get it done in the legislature, is that Ron Klain literally tweeted that. Joe Biden's chief of staff tweeted that. And then that tweet was cited as evidence by the concurrence in this case, saying, you guys can't do that. It violates the constitutional structure. So well done, Biden administration. I mean, you just admitted what you were doing and the court caught you. What is OSHA's reply? It directs us to 29 U.S.C., U.S. Code, Section 655C1. In that statutory subsection, says the concurrence, Congress authorized OSHA to issue emergency regulations upon determining that employees are exposed to grave danger from exposure to substances or agents determined to be toxic or physically harmful, and that such emergency standards are necessary to protect employees from such danger. According to the agency, this provision supplies it with almost unlimited discretion to mandate new nationwide rules in response to the pandemic, so long as those rules are reasonably related to workplace safety. The court rightly applies the major questions doctrine and concludes that this lone statutory subsection does not clearly authorize OSHA's mandate. That section was not adopted in response to the pandemic, but 50 years ago at the time of OSHA's creation. Since then, OSHA has relied on it to issue only comparatively modest rules addressing dangers uniquely prevalent inside the workplace, like asbestos and rare chemicals. As the agency itself explained to the federal court less than two years ago, the statute does not authorize OSHA to issue sweeping health standards that affect workers' lives outside the workplace. But that is exactly what they are trying to do right now. The concurrence continues. They say, why does the major questions doctrine matter? It ensures the national government's power to make the laws that govern us remains where Article 1 of the Constitution says it belongs with the people's elected representatives. If administrative agencies seek to regulate the daily lives and liberties of millions of Americans, the doctrine says they must at least be able to trace that power to a clear grant of authority from Congress. And then the court continues, say, in this respect, the major questions doctrine is closely related to what is sometimes called the non-delegation doctrine. Indeed, for decades, courts have cited the non-delegation doctrine as a reason to apply the major questions doctrine. Essentially, the non-delegation doctrine says the legislative branch of the government cannot just say cannot pass a law saying to the executive branch, do whatever you want, That is a delegation of powers it cannot delegate. And so the way you can tell if the non-delegation doctrine has been violated is if there are major questions that have been left wildly open to the interpretation of executive branch agencies. Say the concurrences. The non-delegation doctrine ensures democratic accountability by by preventing Congress from intentionally delegating its legislative powers to unelected officials. Sometimes lawmakers may be tempted to delegate power to agencies to reduce the degree to which they will be held accountable. If Congress could hand off all legislative powers to unelected agency officials, it would dash the whole scheme of our Constitution. The major questions doctrine serves a similar function by guarding against unintentional, oblique, or otherwise unlikely delegations of the legislative power. Sometimes there's ambiguity and agencies take advantage, for example. Whichever the doctrine, the point is the same. Both serve to prevent government by bureaucracy, supplanting government by the people. And both hold their lessons for today's case. This is the concurrence. On the one hand, OSHA claims the power to issue a nationwide mandate on a major question, but can't trace its authority to do so to any clear congressional mandate. On the other hand, if the statutory subsection the agency cites really did endow OSHA with that power, that law would likely constitute an unconstitutional delegation of legislative authority. Under OSHA's reading, the law would afford it almost unlimited discretion. And this is the key point. And this is the key point that the concurrence is making the legislature still exists. And because the legislature still exists and ought to exist, OSHA does not have this authority. If Congress wants to pass a law like this, it actually has to make the case that it want, that it's going to pass the law like this. Okay, so in a second, we will get to the dissent because to me, the dissents in this case are spine chilling. They really are. They should chill your blood. At first, Jen Psaki came out yesterday, posted the decision from the White House. She says, don't, don't worry. Joe Biden is still going to encourage businesses to implement the VAX mandate. Here's the thing. If a business chooses to implement that Vax mandate, that is now on the business. That business no longer gets to blame Joe Biden or the federal government. This also gives the lie to a lot of a lot of businesses that were saying, we're going to preemptively do this under the assumption that it was going to be greenlit by the Supreme Court. Now, you didn't have to. You guys didn't have to. You could have stood up for your employees. Now, here's Jen Psaki saying they're going to encourage businesses to continue this anyway.
1: The the Supreme Court's decision on the OSHA mandate essentially means that in this pandemic, it is up to individual employers to determine whether their workplaces will be safe for employees and whether their businesses will be safe for consumers. Uh, So President Biden, you'll see this in his statement, uh, will be calling on and will continue to call on businesses to immediately join those those who have already stepped up, including one third of Fortune 100 companies uh, to institute vaccination requirements to protect their workers, Customers and communities.
0: Okay, so they can encourage as much as they want, but that's not what they were attempting to do. They were attempting to destroy businesses that refused to comply. They were literally threatening businesses with $14,000 fines for every unintentional violation and $140,000 fines for every intentional violation. They would have bankrupted our company inside of a week. That was their goal. That was their explicit goal here. And it wasn't to shut down the virus because they can't do that, not with Omicron. It was to control. That's all they care about. And it comes from a deep-seated view of the world that is perverse and un-American. I'll get to that in just one second. First, let's talk about saving some money on your gas bill. So you're spending too much money on gas thanks to supply chain issues and thanks to Joe Biden's inflationary policies. Your gas bills are just out of control. This is why you should go get GetUpside. My listeners are making up to $0.25 for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download that free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code Shapiro. Get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill-up that's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free. Use promo code Shapiro to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to 300 bucks a month in cash back. There is no cash. The cash back gets added directly to to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download that free GetUpside app. Use promo code Shapiro. Get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your very first tank of gas. That is promo code Shapiro. Get that free GetUpside app today. Honestly, like, what is the downside? There is none, which is why it's called GetUpside. Go check it out right now. Get that GetUpside app and use promo code Shapiro. Get 50 cents per gallon cash back on that first tank of gas, and then 25 cents per gallon on every tank of gas after that. All righty. So the mentality of the dissent is really worth noting here, because we were this close in 2016, this close to complete administrative tyranny in this country. The the dissent in this case does not attempt to make a constitutional argument. They don't attempt to look at the major questions doctrine or non-delegation doctrine. They simply say that if there is a vaguely worded statute and is tossed over to administrative agencies. Those administrative agencies should be able to control every aspect of your life without any interference from the courts. You should not be able to sue because those people are best placed to actually determine the course of your, they're the experts. If we could just toss all governance in the United States to the experts at the administrative agencies, and then the Supreme Court could say, listen, we're not experts. It's up to those experts. Well, what you would have is administrative tyranny. And if not for the justices appointed by President Trump, That would be the way the government is done from here on out in the United States. In some areas, it's already pretty close to that. But it would have been full-scale administrative tyranny top-down. You you, you elect your administrative tyrant once every four years. A left-wing court strikes down the excesses of right-wing presidents and greenlights all of the excesses of left-wing presidents. And the legislature would become what it has been for quite a while, a vestigial organ of American government. This is what the left wants. Because all you have to do is cite an emergency. And the left is is fond of it. They love emergencies. Emergencies happen all the time. Climate change is an emergency. Racism is an emergency. Poverty is an emergency. COVID-19 is an emergency. Now, I'm not saying COVID-19 wasn't an emergency at the beginning. It was. But um, it's not an emergency now. It is not. Okay, but they are going to maintain forever that emergencies are the way things are done. That's what's at stake in this country. Two very different views of what government is supposed to do. It was amazing. So yesterday, I tweeted out that the Daily Wire, and again, we are very proud of standing up on behalf of our employees. And um, and I can tell you that they are very happy to be working here today. They signed up for a reason to work here. We're very proud we stood up for our employees. We refused to comply day one. We sued, we brought this to court. We spent our own money to do it. We urge you to subscribe and join us in the mission because we are, in fact, we're an LLC, which means we are a for-profit company, but we are a missional company attempting to get things done. And so I say that I was proud we stood up for our employees. And some guy named Sam Seder, who's, I guess, a left-wing pundit, he says, stood up for employees, should be read as, quote, defended the right of employers to force its workers back to work without even the protection of knowing that those around them tested negative for a deadly virus. But here is the thing. Number one, we never suggested that our workers could not wear masks. Anybody who wants to wear a mask here at The Daily Wire is perfectly welcome to do so. You can wear an N95 as much as you damn well please. You can you wear whatever you want. We don't care. What we said is that we are not going to force people to take a vaccine against their will in order to retain their job. But according to Sam Cedar, this makes us discriminatory and bad. According to the left, everything that is not compulsory is forbidden. That's the way that this works. The government mandates because the government is good. And anything that the government does not mandate, you are forbidden from doing. Everything not compulsory is forbidden. This is the way the left thinks. There is only one great moral force in the universe and it is government. By the way, I love how Sam Seder suggests here that what we are trying to do is defending our right to force our workers back to work without the protection of knowing that those around them were are. Te- he doesn't know my employees. He doesn't know any of them. I know all of them. And let me tell you something. Our employees were crying in the office in Nashville yesterday because they literally thought that they were on the verge of losing their job at the behest of Joe Biden. I know how many of my employees wanted to get the vaccine. I know how many of my employees have natural immunity. Sam Cedar doesn't know the name of one of my employees. I could not tell you how tired I am of hearing people on the left claim that they care more about the people whose salaries I pay and whose livelihoods I insure than I do. I'm tired as, as hell of this nonsense. It's garbage. In the same way, the left suggests that they ought to control your children's education. You got Terry McAuliffe out there in Virginia claiming you should have no say in your child's education. You don't know the name of my child. You don't know a damn thing about my kid. I care much more about my kid than you do. You pretending that you're an expert on how I should raise my kid is insane. And you pretending that you're an expert on my relationship with my employees, who again, their their bills are paid because they work here and choose to work here because it's a free country. You're out of your mind. You're the great defender of my employees. Why don't you you take a poll of my employees on that? I mean, really, or you don't bother. You, You just get to speak for them because you are so wise. You're the expert. Just like the administrative agencies, you guys are the experts and the experts should rule on behalf of all of us. Free choice should just be flushed down the toilet. And you should rule mostly because you're so empathetic. You care so much. Now, you don't have to know any of the people that you're ruling. You don't have to know what they feel, what they think. You don't have to know their health status. You don't know how you don't have to know what they would choose because their choice is irrelevant. Only your choice is relevant because you are the experts. You are the people who know the most. And that's why even their choices on how to vote for a legislature are completely irrelevant. That should not matter. The legislature should be completely thrown out. The legislature should not matter anymore. It should be a bunch of unelected experts, people like Sam Cedar, deciding for everyone how life is to be led. It should be the people who have been versed in environmental studies at UCLA, deciding for everyone in the United States who works a job, whether or not they need to get a vaccine, whether or not they have natural immunity. Via OSHA. A statute passed in 1970. This is what the left truly thinks. And we were this close to that being the reality in the United States. This close, like hair's breadth, close. And this is why the fight matters. And by by the way, anybody who suggests that the dissent in the OSHA case, for example, is really about the law. Yeah, it, it isn't. It isn't. Because they would have just found some other excuse for why an administrative agency could do whatever it wants. Here's the thing about the left. They don't care whether it's OSHA. They don't care whether it's Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. They don't care whether it's Health and Human Services or the Department of Education. They don't care whether it's the Secretary of Labor or the Secretary of the Interior. They don't care. All that matters is that unelected bureaucrats get to do the things they want because for them, it's all power all the time. It's just a power game. It's not about your personal freedom. It is not about your ability to vote. It is not about your ability to choose your own life path. None of that. It is about their control over you. Why? Well, because it's an emergency and the experts know what's best. They know what. Sure, they've blown it every step of the way, but they know what's best. Here is the dissent from Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan. Quote, every day, COVID-19 poses grave dangers to the citizens of this country and particularly to its workers. The disease has now has by now killed almost one million Americans and hospitalized almost four million. It spreads by person to person contact and confined indoor spaces. So causes harm in nearly all workplace environments. And in those environments, more than any others, individuals have little control and therefore little capacity to manage risk. Really, more than any others? Well, why more than any others? It seems like you don't have the capacity to manage or control risk around you in nearly any area of life. COVID-19 is, in short, a menace in work settings. The proof is all around us. Since the disease's onset, most Americans have seen their workplaces transformed. Well, actually, we've seen most places in American life transformed, not just the workplaces. But, says the dissent, The administrative agency charged with ensuring health and safety in workplaces did what Congress commanded it to do. It took action to address COVID-19's continuing threat in those spaces, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And again, the basic idea is that OSHA has the authority because we think OSHA should have the authority. My favorite part of this opinion is where they say, even if we thought that they didn't have the authority, we should let them do it. Quote, even if the merits were a close question, the court would badly err by issuing this stay. That is because a court may not issue a stay unless the balance of harms and the public interest support the action. Here they do not. The lives and healths of the nation's workers are at stake, and the majority deprives the government of a measure it needs to keep them safe. And right? so in other words, we don't care about the constitutional provisions. We don't care about the legislature. It's an emergency. We think the government should have the power to do it, so the government has the power to do it. Period. End of story. It's amazing. They say, this agency's standard is informed by a half century of experience and expertise in handling workplace health and safety issues. The standard has the virtue of political accountability because OSHA is responsible to the president and the president is responsible to the American people. That's a am- that's an amazing statement. OSHA is suddenly accountable to the American people? By what metric? Seriously, by what metric? We can't fire any of those people. All those people are unelected and unfireable by the American people. They're answerable to the president. So therefore, that's a democratic institution. That's a new one. That's really a new one. The administrative agencies are now democratic, answerable institutions because the president is elected. Hmm. How about the legislature? They're elected more frequently. There's hired turnover. But the way that the left sees it, no, no, no. It's between the administrative agencies and the court. Its members are elected by and accountable to no one. It's amazing. Nowhere in the dissenting opinion do they actually take stock of the fact that Congress is supposed to be the deciding body here. They say, who decides how much protection and of what kind American workers workers need from COVID-19? An agency with expertise, acting as Congress and the president authorized, or a court? Well, how about Congress? How about Congress? You know, the elected body. How about that one? And here's the thing. When I say that this has nothing to do with the OSHA mandate, that's because it has nothing to do with the OSHA mandate. And the reason that I say that is because if you take a look, at the the same group of three justices voted in favor of upholding the eviction moratorium from the CDC. You remember the CDC put forward an eviction moratorium under President Trump that suggested that you were not allowed to evict people from their houses for a particular period of time during the original wave. It was unconstitutional at the time, by the way. Under Trump, it was unconstitutional. Forget about who's president. Administrative agencies were not given this sort of insane power to issue an eviction moratorium by the way, it was, it was an insane policy to begin with, given the fact that we were blowing money into people's pockets at the rate of $7 trillion in 2020. So you had to pay all your other bills, but not your rent. Anyway, the Supreme Court had struck that down, right? They, they said, you can't do that. But there were three justices who were in favor of upholding that, saying the CDC could actually force all evictions in the United States to stop. Breyer and Sotomayor and Kagan wrote in that case, quote, the CDC has issued an order that in light of the rise of COVID-19 Delta variant, temporarily prohibits certain evictions in high-transmission counties through October 3rd. Today, this court, without full briefing or argument, blocks that order. I think the court is wrong to do so, and I dissent. They say that the CDC does not lack the power to issue its modified moratorium order. Probably they have that power. They say that the statute's sentence grants the CDC authority to design measures that are, in the agency's judgment, essential to contain disease outbreaks. So uh, again, that, that is so crazy that you get the CDC in order to prevent disease outbreak gets to prevent all evictions in the United States. All of them. Okay, but this is the whole point. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They don't like evictions. Therefore, evictions are bad. And because evictions are bad, the government gets to do it. And if Congress doesn't authorize administrative agencies to do it, that doesn't matter either because those administrative agencies are super giant experts and the experts get to do whatever they want so long as the experts on the Supreme Court greenlight it. That is the view of the left wing of this court. And we were this close to that left wing, not being a minority, but being a majority on this court. That's how close we were. Remember, that's the battle because that is the battle for the future in this country. The battle is going to be whether there is any answerability at all at the federal level. We held the federal government accountable because the Supreme Court was staffed by six Republican appointees. It is that simple. But there would be no way to hold the federal government accountable for this kind of tyranny if that court had ruled the other way. Keep that in mind, because the battle for the future is about that issue. Who gets to decide? You and your local government, your state government, or federal government officials who are not even elected. You know how many layers of unconstitutionality you you have to breach in order to get to this idea in the first place? First, you have to assume that Congress has the power to do this. Congress does not have the power to do this. Nowhere does Congress have the enumerated power under the Constitution of the United States to force hundreds of millions of Americans to vaccinate. That is not in the enumerated powers of the Constitution of the United States in Article 1. It is not. Then you have to say, okay, well, even if Congress can't do that, maybe they can do it. But Congress doesn't even have to pass a law saying they can do it. They can just say OSHA can do whatever it wants. So then you have to assume that Congress is allowed to delegate enormous amounts of power it does not possess to the administrative agencies. And then those administrative agencies can use power that they don't possess, which they've received from Congress, which doesn't possess those powers, to do whatever the hell it wants. And yet this is exactly the way the left in this country would love for this country to run. When you talk about the corruption of democracy and the destruction of small-R republicanism, when you talk about the destruction of the Constitution and the destruction of federalism, this is the true threat. That's a real authoritarian threat. We fought it back here at Daily Wire yesterday, but that battle is ongoing. Please join us at dailywire.com slash subscribe and help us out in fighting that battle. In one second, we'll get to the other case that the Supreme Court ruled on yesterday. It went the wrong way on this one. This is with regard to medical workers, and, uh, and the attachment of Medicare and Medicaid dollars to vaccine mandates. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the most comfortable underwear on planet Earth. I, of course, am talking about Tommy John underwear. They grace this magnificent rock-like tuchus every single day. When you start the year... Wearing Tommy John, you are that much more comfortable, so you can do everything better. Tommy John men's underwear has breathable, lightweight, moisture-wicking fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands. You'll feel the same level of comfort layering their luxuriously soft loungewear right on top. Tommy John loungewear is so comfortable and good-looking, you can and will be wearing them everywhere. With the over 17 million pairs sold, Tommy John does not have customers, they have fanatics. Again, I wear Tommy John stuff. My wife wears Tommy John stuff. It's just, they have all sorts of great gear. and it ranges from underwear to loungewear. It's it, it, all sorts of wonderful, comfortable stuff. It's all backed by Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear, or it's free. Guarantee. Get 20% off your first order right now at tommyjohn.com slash Ben. Go to tommyjohn.com slash Ben for 20% off tommyjohn.com slash Ben. See site for details. This stuff is so good, I threw away all my other underwear. They're just that good. I can only wear Tommy John now. They've ruined it. For everything else, tommyjohn.com slash Ben for 20% off. All righty, we'll get to more of the news in just one second. First, as you know, yesterday, the Daily Wire was a part of history. The Supreme Court blocked that tyrannical Biden administration vax mandate for private employers. We were a major part of that. We were the first company in the United States to file a federal lawsuit against the Biden administration. I'm thrilled that the risk that we took paid off. And I'm thrilled that you were a part of that if you are a member. You should become a member today because these are the kinds of fights that we fight. Right. We fought back this OSHA vaccine mandate. We were part of that Loudoun County revolution in terms of how we covered that. We fight here at the Daily Wire, and we need your help to do that. We need your help in order to fight back against the authoritarian tyranny that the left pushes each and every day. Please head on over to DailyWire.com/slash subscribe and today, because we keep winning. Promo code winning buys you an annual subscription, forty percent off. That's for today only. off because we are into the winning here at Daily Wire. Dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use promo code winning because we're going to keep on winning. Get 40% off your annual subscription today. Be a part of the conservative movement that fights. Head on over to Dailywire.com slash subscribe. Again, use promo code winning for 40% off your subscription today. Also, we have a brand new thing that you get if you become a member. I mean, this is just one of my favorite things. I'm really excited about this. I've wanted to do this for a couple of years. I've started a book club. The first event is now less than a week away. It takes place next Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. Every month, I recommend a book that has earned an important spot in Western civilized culture. A lot of these books are not particularly well-loved by the left, but they are indeed classics. It's all classics, all the time. Not only will we be reading a new book every month? You'll also get exclusive access to my personal notes and analysis. And then on the third Thursday of each month, I will join Daily Wire members online for an in-depth lecture and discussion of each book. You can ask me questions directly. This month's book, the first book, 1984 by George Orwell. So we're reading that together this month. Gotta hurry up because it's not too late to sign up. Just head on over to thirdthursdaybookclub.com. It makes a great gift for high school and college students as well. Head on over to thirdthursdaybookclub.com. Receive the materials you will need to participate in our first members-only discussion on January 20th. I know a lot of you still have that New Year's resolution to read more this year. This helps you do it. Head on over to thirdthursdaybookclub.com. Get started on your reading goals today. Grab a copy of 1984 by George Orwell to join us next Thursday, January 20th, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. You are listening to the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. So there were actually two decisions that came down yesterday from the Supreme Court. One was on the major employer's vax mandate. The other was on the hospitals around the country. The Supreme Court found five to four with Kavanaugh and Roberts joining the left of the court, of course, shock, shock, that the Medicare and Medicare programs could be attached to vax mandates. Essentially, they argued that Medicare and Medicaid, which were strings attached programs, right, that, that, that one of the strings they can attach is that everybody has to be forced to get a vaccine at medical facilities. Now, this is really stupid policy. Just as a matter of policy, it's really, really stupid. The reason it's really stupid is because we have massive medical shortages right now across the country. Phil Kirpin reported yesterday, we've lost 49,000 staffed hospital beds in the last 365 days, 16,000 in the last 30. And the Biden administration is celebrating the Supreme Court letting them fire nurses and doctors who have already had COVID a couple of times for declining a vaccine that does not reduce Omicron transmission. That is correct. By the way, how bad is this? Apparently, California is now telling COVID-positive medical workers to stay on the job. So the way this works is if you're not vaccinated, but you also don't have COVID, you can't work at a hospital. But if you are vaccinated and have COVID, head on into work today. According to Yahoo News, Daylong waits in the emergency rooms, no one to answer the phones, no one to take out the trash. More patients arriving every day. That's the scene playing out at some hospitals across Southern California as the Omicron fueled surge of COVID 19 contributes to a crippling shortage of doctor- doctors, nurses, and other health care workers. State officials are attempting to address California's staffing shortage through a sweeping policy change that allows asymptomatic healthcare care workers who have tested positive for COVID to return to work immediately. <laughs> so yeah, the, the, these vax mandates are they're definitely great policy. They make, they make perfect perfect sense. And well, the Supreme Court basically found in ridiculous fashion that the the Enabling Act for Medicare and Medicaid somehow can be cobbled together to allow for the possibility of these vax mandates being crammed down on medical workers across the country, as the dissenters, Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch and Barrett point out, no, not so much. They say the government has not established that either provision of CMS, which is the Enabling Act, empowers it to impose a vax mandate. Rules carrying out the administration of Medicare and Medicaid are those that serve the practical management and direction of those programs. Such rules are necessary to administration if they bear an actual discernible nexus to the program's practical management. To the extent the rule has any connection to the management of Medicare and Medicaid, it is at most a tangential one. At oral argument, the government largely conceded that these statutes alone do not authorize the omnibus rule. Instead, it fell back on a constellation of statutory provisions that each concern one of the 15 types of medical facilities the rule covers. Several of those provisions contain language indicating that CMS may regulate those facilities in the interest of health and safety. In the government's view, that language authorizes CMS to adopt any requirements that CMS deems necessary, including a VAX mandate. The government has not made a strong showing that this agglomeration of statutes authorizes any such rule. To start, five of those 15 facility-specific statutes don't authorize CMS to impose health and safety regulations at all. These provisions can't support an argument based on statutory text they lack. Perhaps that's why the government only weakly defends them. Then the government identifies eight definitional provisions describing, for example, what makes a hospital a hospital. These define covered facilities as those that comply with a variety of conditions, etc. The government similarly invokes a saving clause for health and safety regulations applicable to all inclusive care programs for the elderly. The government has not made a strong showing This hodgepodge of provisions authorizes a nationwide VAX mandate. We presume Congress does not hide fundamental details of a regulatory scheme in vague or ancillary provisions. Yet here, the government proposes to find virtually unlimited vaccination power over millions of healthcare workers in definitional provisions, a saving clause, and a provision regarding long-term care facilities, sanitation procedures. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a stretch. It is for sure a giant stretch. For his part, Ron DeSantis in Florida, he says, we're not gonna help you implement this. And in fact, hospitals in Florida are now caught between a bit of a rock and a hard place because in Florida, you are not allowed to discriminate against the unvaccinated. That is state law in the state of Florida. You can't fire somebody for being unvaccinated. At the same time, the federal government has now mandated that they are going to remove Medicare and Medicaid dollars from hospitals if they don't force their employees to get vaxxed. Here was Ron DeSantis yesterday in Florida.
1: The medical mandate for the for the nurses and the doctors, this is what they're trying to do is absolutely insane. In other states, they have fired nurses for not having vax, even though most of them have natural immunity. So they fire them but now they're shorthanded, so what are they doing? They are bringing back on the job vaccinated nurses who are currently COVID positive. So if you're unvaccinated, naturally immune, and uninfected, they fire you. But if you're COVID positive and vax, which we know most of the people that are COVID positive now are vax, they are going back on the job. Um, And it just shows you that CMS mandate absolutely insane, especially given the ineffectiveness, you know, of of these shots
0: to actually stop transmission. Ron DeSantis, of course, is exactly correct. And shame on Kavanaugh and Roberts for voting the wrong way on this particular mandate. Okay. meanwhile, Joe Biden's presidency is in a state of full scale collapse. It really is. I mean, this is the worst week I have ever seen a president have. Maybe it it is definitely up there. Uh, Aside from the botchery in Afghanistan, which was a weeks long rolling crisis for the administration and destroyed Biden's credibility. This week has been brutal. So Joe Biden, this week alone, received reports of inflation at a 40-year high. Joe Biden had his VAX mandate struck down by the Supreme Court. Joe Biden is running up against a major border crisis again, again. Joe Biden's approval rating is down at 33%, according to Quinnipiac. Joe Biden has decided to swivel away from all of those things by randomly shouting about how all Americans who dislike His voting agenda are vicious racists. And now that's breaking down. Even his own party's like, you're acting like a jackass, please stop. Okay, so yesterday, Joe Biden went to the Hill. He's been trying to convince senators on the Hill that they ought to get rid of the filibuster. Yeah, good luck with that. Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema have no interest in getting rid of the filibuster. There's no reason they would be interested in getting rid of the filibuster. Why? The filibuster protects them and protects probably half a dozen other Democratic senators because those Democratic senators now get to claim that they're in favor of a bunch of Democratic legislative proposals without those proposals ever having to be passed. And that's a pretty good space to be in. The filibuster allows Manchin and Cinema to hide behind the filibuster in order to not have to vote on very controversial provo- proposals in their own home state. Plus, it turns out that the filibuster has long time been a feature of the Senate. It is a good cooling mechanism for the excesses of congressional passion. Okay, so Joe Biden went on down to the Hill yesterday and it just, it went, it went horribly. Just horribly. It started off before he even went down, with Jen Psaki at the White House saying Joe Biden thinks that we need to make changes to the filibuster, and it's super duper important.
1: Any piece of legislation that's ever passed, uh, that's hard, that's difficult, goes through goes through some ups and downs, and goes through some challenges. That doesn't mean you give up. That's not what leadership is. Leadership is continuing to fight for what's right, continuing to fight to get something done. Uh, That means sometimes it fails. We don't know what will happen next. That means sometimes uh, there are are gaps between when you get to move forward. We're going to have to determine what the next steps are. But in the meantime, the president is going to continue to make calls. He's going to continue to engage with his colleagues. uh, And that's where his focus is on at this point in time.
0: Yeah, well, he has no power to do that because the president of the United States is not a sentient being. He's an old man who shouts at the clouds and calls everybody who. Doesn't like his agenda. A vicious bull Connor racist, even though it was he who was serving in the Senate with people like George Wallace and praising them at the time. OK, so here was Joe Biden. He goes down to the Hill and randomly he starts yelling about voting. This is not going to get the job done, sir. The state legislative bodies continue to change the law, not as to who
2: can vote, but who gets to count the vote, count the vote, count the vote. It's about election subversion not just whether or not people get to vote. Who counts the vote? That's what this is about. That's what makes this so different than anything
0: else we've ever done. Who counts the vote? Who counts the vote? Counts the vote. Counts the vote. Counts the... Not gonna work, dude. Not gonna work. In fact, this worked so poorly that yesterday, Kirsten Sinema, while he was in the Senate, I mean, she just burned him to the ground. So Joe Biden goes to the Senate to try and convince Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin that they should give up on their own political prospects So that this old man can pass a voting bill that she doesn't even like. Okay. And and so she gets up on the Senate floor and she's like, you know what? I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And you can shove off, sir. While I continue to support
1: these bills, I will not support separate actions that worsen the underlying disease of division infecting our country. The debate over the Senate 60 vote threshold shines a light on our broader challenges there's no need for me to restate my longstanding support for the 60 vote threshold to pass legislation. And there's no need for me to restate its role protecting our country from wild reversals in federal policy.
0: So that is Kirsten Sinema just taking Joe Biden, breaking her back like Bane with Batman in Dark Knight Rises. I mean, it's just that that is a um, that is a bad sight for Joe Biden. And by the way, Joe Biden knows it. He, he went to these meetings and then as he was leaving, he got very, very agitated because his, his medication had run out. I hope
2: we can get this done. The honest to God answer is, I don't know whether we can get this done. As long as I have a breath in me, as long as I'm in the White House, as long as I'm engaged at all, I'm going to be fighting to change the way these legislatures have moved.
0: Uh, as long as I... It's pretty dark, sir. As long as I have breath... Over my core, blah, blah. Joe Manchin then put out a statement in solidarity with cinema. just had insult to injury for the Biden administration, quote. Throughout the last decade or more, there's been broad bipartisan support for protecting the filibuster, including current and former members of the Senate. Just four years ago, 61 senators, 33 of whom were Democrats, sent a letter to Senators Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell, warning them of the dangers of eliminating the filibuster. That letter presented a united front committed to preserve the ability of members to engage in extended debate when bills are on the floor. While some of them have changed their position, I have not. Respect is a two-way street. I respect that they have changed. I would hope they would respect that I have not. While many try to ignore this history, they do so without fully understanding the long-term institutional and democratic damage this will do to the Senate and our nation, allowing one party to exert complete control in the Senate with only a simple majority, will only pour fuel onto the fire of political whiplash and dysfunction that is tearing this nation apart. This is Joe Manchin's statement. He says, for those who believe bipartisanship is impossible, we prove them wrong. Ending the filibuster would be the easy way out. I can't support such a perilous course for this nation when elected leaders are sent to Washington to unite our country by putting politics and party aside. So Joe Biden reduced to a sniveling, whining shell of a sniveling, whining man. So that's, that's, it's been a very, very, very bad week for Joe Biden. By the way, the Democrats are still relying on the filibuster. And so you think that because they're in control of the Senate, they don't use the filibuster wrong. So yesterday there was a majority bill. There's a support for a bill. 55 members of the Senate supported it. That would have blocked sanction. That would have reimposed sanctions on companies that did business with the Russian pipeline Nord Stream Two. That legislation was called the Protecting Europe's Energy Security Implementation Act. It received a floor vote after Republican Texas Senator Ted Cruz, who had proposed it, agreed to release several administration nominations he had blocked over the issue, and um, then the Senate Democrats blocked it using wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, the filibuster. So while they are declaring it a racist hallmark of Jim Crow. They're literally using the filibuster to save Joe Biden's pro Nord Stream 2 position. Absolutely incredible. And this presidency is a mess. This party is a mess. And so Joe Biden has been reduced to just saying random things and hoping something sticks. So yesterday he did an address in which he talked about Omicron. And again, he's got no power. He's got no ability to do anything at this point. He's a lame duck one year into his presidency. It's really amazing. And so now he's just going to let all of his authoritarian id run free. He says, you know what I would love? I would love for social media and for the media to stop their misinformation. Nothing like the president of the United States attempting to use the power of the federal government to cudgel the media into place. That's good. I thought this was a threat to journalism when Trump did it. When Biden does it, it's good.
2: You haven't gotten vaccinated. Do it. Personal choice impacts us all our hospitals, our countries. I make a special appeal to social media companies and media outlets. Please deal with the misinformation and disinformation that's
0: on your shows. It has to stop. Please. Also, he, he, also, he says wearing a mask is a patriotic duty. Okay, um, he doesn't specify which kind of mask. Here he is.
2: As I've said in the last two years, please wear a mask. If you're in a, you know, I, I think it's part of your patriotic duty. It's not that comfortable. It's a pain in the neck. But I've taken every action I can as president to require people to wear masks in federal buildings and on airplanes and trains because they're internet, they cross state lines.
0: And uh, and it's been so wildly effective, sir. I mean, it's been, I mean, it's not like we have any Omicron cases at all because of, because of those measures. Uh, really, great job. I mean, in New Jersey, New York, you know, places where everybody agrees with you. I've noticed that um, everyone's getting infected with Omicron. By the way, Michael Osterholm, who used to advise Biden, he's like, this is an amazing statement. So he says, cloth masks don't work against Omicron. But then he goes further. He says the thing you are not allowed to say, the kind of thing that gets you banned from YouTube if you are a member of the non-liberal party. If you're not a leftist and you say this, then you're treated like Joe Rogan. You are an abomination unto the Lord. Here's Michael Osterholm saying something about cloth masks that has been perfectly obvious for nigh on two years but you weren't supposed to say it. Here he is.
2: The science was there. We published uh, work back as early as April of 2020 saying that, in fact, that this virus is transmitted by an aerosol, that kind of perfume-like floating in the room and that we needed to have that very high level of respiratory protection. You need these very tight face-fitting masks that also are breathable. And what I mean by that is it's fit and it's filtration. And the way you get fit is like a swim goggle. You can't have it leak. But if it's going to be that tight, then you have to have a material that allows the air to move through. Cloth doesn't do that.
0: Wait, what now? Hold up. So he just said, one second, you need a tight fit, which would be a KN95 or an N95. You need that. But anything that's loosely fit or of, a, or of a material like cloth doesn't work. And he says we had data of this in April of 2020. If you said this for a year and a half on the internet, you were banned. You were banned. They would throw you off Facebook for this. They would throw you off YouTube for this. Michael Osterholm can say it. He was an advisor to Joe Biden. These liars. These unbelievable liars. Okay, so it's all falling apart for them. The good news is they have waiting in the wings one of the most talented politicians of this or any other generation, Kamala Harris, who is just, she is just an inspiring figure, deeply inspiring figure. So Kamala Harris did an interview on NBC News. It's one of the great interviews of all time. Uh, Kamala Harris is perennially the third grader whose dog ate her homework, forever and always. She, She has two responses to questions, to laugh hysterically like a lunatic or to try and soldier her way through them like Michael Scott being asked to describe the French Revolution. Here is here is Kamala Harris being asked a very simple question. And man, this answer, this is an all-time great answer right here.
2: Six former administration officials last week wrote that open letter urging the administration to change course, to change strategy. Is it time? It is time for us to do what we have been doing and that time is every day. Every day it is time for us
0: to agree that there are things and tools that are available to us to slow this thing down. She, she, she's the most talented politician of our generation. I mean, by the way, every two days there's a piece in the mainstream media about why she needs to recapitulate her image. There's another one in the Washington Post. Like, it's, it's almost every two days. saying why her, her comms team is failing her. Because the dictator can never fail. The dictator can only be failed. Maybe she just sucks at this. That That's one of the great... Selena Kyle Veep lines I have ever heard from a politician in real life. Quote, it is time, this is a direct quote. It is time for us to do what we have been doing. And that time is every day. Okay, I'm trying to get a handle on what that means. Today, right now, it's the time for us to do what we've already been doing. And that time to do what we've already been doing is every day. So the past and present and future all merge. It's It's like a flat circle. What? Yeah, play it again. Play. I, I, need, I need that. I need the experience of that level of genius again. I need it. I need it. I require it. This could be your next president of the United States, folks, because Joe Biden needed a black woman for Veep. Six
2: former administration officials last week wrote that open letter urging the administration to change course, to change strategy. Is it time? It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. Every day it is time every, for us it's to, time. Agree
0: to agree that
2: there are things and tools that are oh. available to us to just. slow this thing down.
0: My favorite time is that it is time for us to do what we have been doing. And that time of, is every day. Every day is that time. It's like a haiku for a person who has no brain function. It's, that, is, that is fantastic. That is just fantastic. I guess that the the goal here is that our leadership class should be actively unable to form English sentences about coherent policy. We're almost there, guys. If we just work a little harder, we'll get there. All righty, we have reached the end of today's show. We'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content. First, you cannot forget to end your week by tuning into the Andrew Klavan Show. Drew's shows every Friday. He's got an exciting evening planned for you. So head on over to dailywire.com at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. Tune in. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Help spread the word about The Ben Shapiro Show by giving us a five-star review and sharing the show with a friend. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check out some of our other Daily Wire shows. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Elliot Feld, executive producer Jeremy Boring, our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our production manager is Pavel Wydowski, associate producer Bradford Carrington. Editing is by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Koromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant, Jessica Crand. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022.
2: Hey everybody, this is Andrew Klavan, host of the Andrew Klavan Show. You know, some people are depressed because the Republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moons turned to blood. But on the Andrew Klavan Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to the Andrew Klavan Show and laugh your way through the fall of the Republic with me, Andrew Claven.